Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For those of you that don't know, my name is Joe Scruggs, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, it's really, just want to echo Adam's words of welcome. It's really good to have you here, and uh, just delighted that you're here. I'd like to get a special welcome to my friends on the back row, because that's where I normally sit. And uh, I just want to thank you for facing forward. So, anyhow. Okay, as I mentioned, we're continuing in a short series called Resolve. And Wopsle started us last week, and basically what we're dealing with is the journey that Jesus took to the cross, the journey to Jerusalem and the cross. And this morning, we're going to look at an event that was part of that journey, and I just want to present right up front, and hopefully I'll say it later to emphasize it, this is an incredibly important event. It's an incredibly important event, and so we're going to look at that together in just a minute here. Going to break it into three major parts. The first part is looking at the event itself, the situation itself. The second part is trying to answer the question, why do this at this particular time? Sort of a why question. Then the last part of it is going to be a so what question. How does this apply to us? How do we deal with this? But let me give just a little background first, two minutes worth of background. Uh, First, the, the, the definition of resolve. We're calling this resolve. What do we mean by the word resolve? And a real practical definition, and this is a verb, and I'm going to use it as a verb as opposed to a noun, to decide firmly on a course of action and to keep that course of action in mind, to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up our mind, this is what we're going to do and we're not going to be deterred. When someone resolves to do something, that's basically, I think, what they're saying. In this event, it really began in the mind of God way, way back in eternity, really before we can comprehend and all of those things. But the first verbal sign of it, the first people to hear about this event, not to hear about it, but to really lock in as to when it was going to happen, was back in Luke 9. And this is what Wopsle talked about last week. And there's a passage like this. Jesus is telling his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So now is the time. You know, Jesus said throughout his ministry, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. This is the hour. This is the resolution. This is what's beginning to happen. And in a couple of verses later in in Luke 9, 52, he describes it this way. Jesus set out resolutely toward Jerusalem. He set out resolutely. He was resolved to do this. He had decided on a course of action and he was going to stick with it. So that's where we got it. So the event itself, if you want to look it up, it's in John chapter 13. And we're going to look at the first few verses. And for those of you that don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible under your chair and it's on page 1673. So let's try to follow along with it, okay? But let me put it in one more little context things. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. The cross is literally hours away. I mean, he is on the verge. He is on the edge of the cross. And there's a real sense of urgency. And some of us have been in positions before when we have a deadline or something like that and we have some important things to do. We make sure they get done. 
So there's a real sense of urgency about what he's getting ready to do and what he's getting ready to tell these folks. This is important. This is vital because time was of the essence. He didn't have much more time with them, and so he was going to do it. Okay, here's the event, John chapter 13. Most of you have heard of it, but let's just take a minute and read it. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew it was here. This was go. This was time to leave this earth, to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Great statement of identity. He knew who he was. He knew where he had been. He knew where he was. He knew where he was going. That's a great thing to be able to to lock into. He was locked into that. And he says he loved them to the very end. Now, I don't think that's simply referring to this event itself. That's a big part of it. But love them to the very end incorporates the cross. It incorporates all the things that were going to happen. One thing I might encourage any of us to do in Lent, as we finish up Lent, start with John chapter 13 and just read through the Gospel of John, the end of John. Because this is how he loved them to the very end, and it's really important. Okie doke. The story continues. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. So this was the event. This was a circumstance. In this time of great crisis, this time of great urgency, he took the time to wash the disciples' feet. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? So this must really be important for him to take the time to do that. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but um, somehow, someday you will. No, Peter answered, that is really a bad thing to say at this point in time. (laughs) No, Peter answered, you will never wash my feet. Not my feet, not going to happen. You'll never wash my feet. Jesus replied, then Peter, Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So then Peter swings out the other way. Well, in that case, wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. So once again, he's basically saying, no, I've got a way you should do this. Now, Peter takes a lot of grief. Some of you who have followed that, he, he says some really off the wall things sometimes, some impulsive things, some loud things. And this is one of them. And as Wopsle pointed out last week, Peter was the first one, to his great credit, to realize that this was the Messiah. Remember, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, dot. Who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. You are the one. You're the man. You're it as we go forward from here. But what he failed to see, what he failed to see, and see if this makes sense, If Jesus was who Peter said he was, then he's not supposed to say no, whether he understands or not. No, comma, Lord is the sentence that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So Peter missed it. And so for us too, sometimes Jesus asks us to do things 
or tries to get us to do things or mentions to us or makes it possible and it doesn't make sense. So we have to choose to say yes out of faith versus no, I refuse. Does that make sense? So Peter was really grappling and he had it right in one way. You don't serve kings. Kings don't serve you. You serve kings. Messiahs don't serve you. You serve messiahs. So this was backwards. This was radically different. So Peter had it right. He just went about it in the wrong way as he goes forward from her. He takes it too too far. He tries to correct Jesus again. And so Jesus says, I've got to do it this way. So that's the event. Jesus is washing their feet. Makes sense so far? Second part, why? Why do you think in this most urgent and pressing of all situations, Jesus would take the time to take this action? It has to be incredibly important. This has to be a very, very important thing because time's passing and there was no time to waste. This was big. He's trying to communicate something really, really important. I think there's two major reasons. One of them is kind of speculation from the passage itself. Let me just read it again. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now see if this makes sense, okay? I think in some ways a key word in there. Just out of curiosity, what do you all think is the key word in this little sentence? Anybody? There's got to be a key word, folks. Someone's got to speak up. I'll start calling on people by name. (laughs) Anybody have any idea? Do what? Washed. Any other thoughts? Do what? Say it a little louder. Towel around his waist. Have took off. Poured. Keep going. We're not going to leave here till you get it. <laughs> and we're not, so far, we're not close. Do what? So. So what? Uh, so. Who came up with that? There is a door prize at the end for you getting it right, okay? You get a big pledge card. So anyway, I think it is so. It's, he knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew all this. And as a result of that, he washed their feet. It's almost like saying, I'm in danger, so I ran away. As a result of having this information, he chose to do something. And that is really pretty remarkable. So what was he trying to do? I think even at this moment, up until the very end, he was trying to show them the nature of God. God is an unloving, caring, serving God. And up to the very end, Jesus wanted to communicate that. He's authority. There's no question about that. But he's also loving and caring and serving. And that's just miraculous as we go forward. I read a quote that says, in the story of the foot washing, then we have the most profound revelation of the heart of God apart from the crucifixion itself. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is showing us the nature of God at this very time. Never stop teaching as he went forward. We don't have to speculate about the second reason, and it's given in the next verse, in verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on the robe again and sat down and asked, 
Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. He's not bouncing off of anything. This is who I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Whenever you see that phrase, something big is coming. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. So what's the second part of why? The second part of why he has given us an example of what we're supposed to do, just like he gave them an example of what they're supposed to do. And that really sounds great, doesn't it? But I would argue that if you choose to serve people, if you choose to love people, if you choose to get involved with this, there are some issues and some obstacles you're going to have to overcome. All of us will. And I took some time to try to think of some of those things. Uh, Serving is not something that comes naturally. You know, where the whole series is called Resolve. If we want to serve and if we want to care, we have got to resolve to do this. We have got to decide firmly that this is important. This is a course we're going to follow. This is something we're going to do because it will not come naturally. It will not come easily just because of our culture and our sin nature. That's not going to be something that comes easy. And I thought of some struggles that we might have. And these are going to be a little bit out of sync with the slides because I changed them up at the last minute. One struggle might simply be we get to do some unpleasant jobs. I don't think washing your feet is high on the list of important jobs back in that culture. That did not require academic training. It did not require a degree. It did not require anything. If you had gone to a headhunter, foot washing would have probably not been high on the list. So we might have to do some unpleasant jobs as we do this. That might be involved in serving. It might involve in cleaning something up that's a mess. It might involve all sorts of things that are not particularly pleasant. And that's a little hard for us. I've been called on to do some unpleasant things, and I kind of waffle. I kind of wobble about it, you know, but it needs to be done. So there's just, we might be called to do some unpleasant things. Second thing I thought about, and this is really the overarching umbrella of all of them, it might involve true humility. And true humility is something that's difficult to come by. I have a friend of mine um, who I admire greatly. And we were talking about this passage this week, and uh, he was a former Navy pilot, big-time Navy pilot, jets, aircraft carriers, the whole works. His name is Tom Cruise. No, I'm kidding. I just made, I just made that up. Uh, they call him Maverick. But anyway, uh, no, he's, this, he was legitimate. He really did this. And after he gave up his Navy career, he decided to go back to seminary or go to school. And the seminary had kind of a caste system. Freshmen had to do some jobs, sophomores had to do some jobs, juniors, seniors, etc. The freshman job was cleaning out the bathrooms. And he was talking about how difficult it was to come from being a hotshot Navy pilot to cleaning the bathrooms in a small school. That's humility. And, and serving is going to call for humility. Washing people's feet is a humble job. And Peter realized that when he said what he said. Um, third one, and this really is almost a synonym for uh, humility, it's obscurity. True service takes place whether people notice it or not. And I don't mind serving, and I don't mind being humble, 
but I want to be conspicuous because I'm proud of my humility. And that really offsets some things. But true service involves obscurity sometimes. I remember uh, back in the day we, uh, when I was doing the Young Life stuff, years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago, they didn't even have ketchup when I started. But anyway, that's how old it was. But anyway, we had our Young Life thing in a, in a building that had white linoleum tile floor. And kids wore these shoes, we call them waffle stompers, but they had these, the soles on the shoes would leave black marks on the floor. So the church where we were meeting, very understandably, asked us if we would clean up the black marks. And so after every little Young Life function, we'd get down there and scrub them off and so on and so forth. You know, and people would come up and say, can I do that for you? No, I got it. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for you. You go have fun. I'll scrub up the black marks. Folks, it was pitiful. It was pitiful. What a loser. But anyway, and it was a lot harder to do when everybody left. I mean, everybody left. Those black marks just kind of got dimmed out and we left too. But it's hard to do this in obscurity. But that's what servants do. We're willing to work in obscurity. Here's a poem by a lady named Ruth Calkins. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I sh uh, shine when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. Serving functions in obscurity. And that's not easy. This serving thing is not easy. Another potential struggle is we might not necessarily like the people that we're called on to serve. And that's tough. That is really tough. You know, we, we might not, uh, you know, my good friends and things like that, I'm glad to do stuff. But maybe it's someone that God calls me to serve that I don't particularly feel comfortable with. That's a little tougher. That's a little harder as we go forward. Are we willing to serve the people that God puts in our path? Uh, most of you know my wife, Margie, and she is, uh, she's a delight. She really is. We've been married 45 years, and it's, we've never had an argument. <laughs> and if you believe that, I have some land uh, west of the river. It's underwater, but Al Howerton will sell it to you. So anyway... <laughs> But anyway, uh, we had a function to go to several years ago, and, and it was, I don't remember what it was. It was a party or something, and there were some people there that I decided were weird. You know, just weird people. And so I'm griping and moaning and, you know, the, the mature things that I do. And, uh, and so, Margie, I don't want to go to this. There's going to be weird people there. It's going to be a weird event. You know what she said? Well, maybe God's calling you to love weird people. I hate it when she does that stuff. I hate it when she calls me to task because she's usually right. But God might call us to serve some weird people sometimes. Are we willing to do that? I read a quote that says, I'm willing to love my neighbor, but by golly, I'm going to choose the neighborhood. You know, and that's tough, but we're called on to do that. Another uh, issue that we might have to face, and we need to kind of wrap this up in the next five minutes, but another issue is where do we start? Where do we do this? Frankly, I am really pretty good at being nice to people in China. I can't think of a single one of them that I've offended. 
course, I've never been to China. I've never been close to China. But, you know, it's pretty easy in some ways to do this out there. Where the rubber meets the road is where we live. And I think the Mark Twain stuff is fabulous. I really do. And I did it for a number of years. I was a lunch buddy. And it was, it was a good thing to do. But, you know, in the overall scheme of things, it wasn't hard. Once a week, we loaded in the car. We drove to Mark Twain. We did our lunch buddy thing. And we drove back. And it was serving but it's pretty easy to do it at a distance. Where it gets tough is in our own home. Where it gets tough is with our neighbors. Where it gets tough is with people that we work with. Where it might get tough with people who are here at church. It's not an easy thing to do, and we have to be committed to doing it as we go forward. Um, there's this verse in Acts that I really like. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And listen to this. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's he doing there? Concentric circles. You start where you are, Jerusalem, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria, and you go to the ends of the earth. We need to start where we are. We need to think about our neighbors. We need to think about people up here maybe. We need to think about situations that we need to deal with as we go forward. Another potential struggle for us that we might have is sometimes serving is inconvenient. It's just inconvenient, isn't it? There was a guy I met several years ago, and uh, he just moved to town, and somebody gave me his name. And we had lunch, and we were talking. And to be honest, I was kind of hoping he might come to church here and so on and so forth. Well, we've got to move. Well, if there's anything we can do to help you, please, anything I can do to help you, please let me know. And you know what he did? He called me and asked for help. This is a bad time. Well, when would be a good time? There is no good time. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and so anyway, but sometimes serving is inconvenient, and we got to deal with that if we're going to be resolved to serve. And the last one is, this is a little fuzzier, but I think it's really important. It's really important. Serving causes us to really struggle with some very hard questions, very difficult questions. What is appropriate serving and how do boundaries fit into that? Because I would argue that if we don't have decent boundaries, we cannot serve in a healthy way. We just can't do it. And that is really hard. That is really a tricky tension that we have to live in. Because there are people out there that are manipulative. There are people out there that are dysfunctional. There are people out there that don't do well. And you can get sucked into this where you're just going and going and going. And I would argue that in that case and in that situation, you might actually be doing more harm than good because you might be reinforcing bad behavior. You might be reinforcing something that's inappropriate. And that can be very damaging. So if we want to serve, I would really encourage us, we had best pray. And I'm going to read a prayer that Paul had for the people in the church at Philippi. My prayer for you is you might have still more love, a love that is full of knowledge and wise insight. We're going to need knowledge and wise insight for us to serve effectively. I want you to be able to recognize the highest and the best. You know, so many times we get sidetracked by the, the, by the good and we miss the best. I want you to be able to recognize the highest and the best, to live sincere and blameless lives until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to see your lives full of true goodness produced by the power that Jesus Christ gives you to the praise and glory of God. 
So if we're going to take this serving thing seriously, one thing I would really encourage you to do is to pray for wisdom. Because, folks, it's just too hard without it. But Jesus gives us this model. This is important. This is how we communicate the nature of God. Adam was talking about inviting our neighbors to church. Well, I would argue if you've been serving them, you've got a real leg up on that. That's a big way to have a powerful influence as we go forward. Here's how the passage finishes, and this is great. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. Knowing them is not enough. A lot of people know a lot of things, but that's not enough. God will bless you if you do them. And blessed doesn't mean make things easy. Serving is not easy. But you'll be on the right track. You'll be doing the right stuff. You'll be blessed. It's a beatitude. Blessed are you when you serve. So here's the challenge. One, I really hope you we can appreciate and have a greater appreciation for Jesus and his resolve to do what he did. Because it wasn't easy. Second thing, I pray that we could resolve all of us make a firm decision to struggle with what it means to serve and be willing to step into the arena. It will make a huge difference in our lives and in the lives of people, and it will be following what Jesus modeled in an hour of great crisis. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, and uh, we've kind of blown through a lot of stuff. There's a lot of information. And we've talked about it, and it's one thing to have words, and I'm glad we were able to kind of look at it, some of it lightheartedly. But I think of that night, hours, hours away from the cross, and you knew what was going on. You knew what was about to happen, and you took this time to teach this lesson. And the very least that we can do is learn it and try to apply it. So we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.